World War II, Main Street, Warsaw, Poland. The city was all but leveled, but there was one skeletal piece of one particular building still standing on Main Street in Warsaw. It was the, it was the building of this society of British and foreign Bible society, something like that. And on the wall that was standing was a big verse that everybody could see from Main Street. And it said, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's how we ended last week. We're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to continue to answer the same question. How do you prepare for the return of Jesus Christ? Because he is coming back. At least he said he was, right? Of course, some people will have issue with that, and they'll say, well, he was coming back within 40 years, and he didn't come back, so what do we do with that, right? It's kind of hard, though, when you have to deal with that because you have a man who was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. So when someone rises from the dead, you don't see that every day, you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that this man rose from the dead, is alive, that his words carry some weight. So it is from that perspective that we are reading where he has been sharing with his disciples, just him and the twelve, about two prophecies. A recent a prophecy that would happen in their lifetime, just 40 years later, where Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed, and another prophecy that they took and heard probably as happening at about the same time, but is still yet to have happened. Here we are 2,000 years later. And it is the second prophecy that we will focus on today, the return of Christ that we talk about, not the first prophecy that was already that, was already, that Jesus talked about and has already been fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So with that, um, I would like to pray, and then we'll dive in. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you spoke. We thank you that your words will never pass away. We thank you that you've given us ears to hear what you're saying and a heart to believe. And I pray that you'll give us the courage to exercise the faith to believe, to to take your words and, and decide these are trustworthy words and to put them into practice. And so, Lord, I pray for your help and your mercy in that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're looking and using one of the Bibles under the chairs, this is page 806, I think. So we start where we left off. Verse 36 says about the day that Jesus is supposed to return, this future day that you and I, whether we believe or not, the Bible says is coming. Okay? It's coming. We're one day closer today to that happening than we were yesterday. He says this, and this is the question everybody wants to know the answer to, right? When's he coming? When's he coming? But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Jesus on earth didn't even know when he was coming back. Now, I think he knows now. The Bible doesn't say one way or the other, but he is fully God in heaven, fully omniscient. He knows. 
But only the Father in that moment, Jesus would say, was the only one that would know. Verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah. So what will happen here is he's going to give us several pictures, several illustrations, if you will, that are going to really drive home this idea of how to prepare for the return of Jesus. And that's the question we're answering. How do you prepare for the return of Jesus? And last week we talked about eight or nine imperatives. I was incorrect. It wasn't 12. It was eight or nine. I can't remember the number. We have two more in this passage that we will follow. An imperative is like a command. It's Jesus giving his followers instructions. Here's how you prepare for my return. Okay? And you just have to decide, are his words trustworthy? Because if his words are trustworthy, they will never pass away even though heaven and earth will. Let's think about that for a second. Let's let's stop right there. Heaven and earth will pass away. So it should bother you if you're not quite sure what this means because we wouldn't want to see heaven pass away, would we? I mean, not if that's where we're headed. And so I did some digging, and I remember that there's three definitions for heaven in the Bible. I don't know if you knew this or not. If you look at creation, you'll see, especially in older translations, it called the skies heavens. It called outer space heavens. And it called heaven, heaven, what we think of as heaven. The, there, there where, um, where I guess you could say the Lord lives outside of the universe. Because if God created the universe, then that means he's, he's got it right here and, and he's not in it. He's working in it, but he's beyond it. He doesn't need the universe to exist. He was here before and he'll be here forever. And the universe was created. So if heaven, passes away, what's in earth is passing away, what's he referring to? He's referring to the universe that we, as we know it. And if you think there's a multiverse, he's referring to the multiverse, okay? Whatever he has created, that's what he's referring to. And he's saying, while heaven and earth will pass away, my words will never pass away. He's saying that whatever he says is going to outlast whatever he's created, Okay? And when he refers to his words, he doesn't just refer to the written word, which we think of as Scripture, because the Bible also calls Jesus the living word. So if you were to say, what does this look like? We would point to Jesus as he's described in the New Testament. We would say the way he lives, the way he exemplified, the way he spoke, the things he taught, the truths he he communicated, all of those are truth on display. They are the words of of God himself. In other words, if you were to say, well, if I could just see God and know what he was like, I would, it would be easier for me to follow him. And God says, that's exactly what I did when I sent my son. I showed you what God looks like in a limited fashion as a human being, because obviously a human is limited, right? He, he couldn't show us, for example, omnipresence, which means you can be everywhere at the same time because Jesus was in his human earth suit. Okay, and and so he couldn't display some of the attributes of God because he also was human, and that was part of the, I guess, that paradox of of who God is when he put on flesh to become one of us, to speak to us in a way we could relate to and understand. Okay, so it's kind of with that in mind as we move forward to think. Okay, so if heaven and earth are going to pass away, that doesn't sound like good news, right? That doesn't sound good like good news at all unless you read the end of the book and you go to the end of the last two chapters of the Bible and you realize there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, okay? There's going to be a new ball of mud called earth 
And it will be physical and tangible just like this, but it will not be just like this. It will be without evil and wickedness and, and the brokenness that is the consequence of all the sin. It will be new. I make all things new. When you buy a new phone, your other phone is now the old phone. And it is passing away, right? We get rid of it. We have a new phone. And we are very happy about that. Why? Because in theory, it works. Like there's no scratches. It's all good, right? Now, put that on a scale of infinite proportion. And think about our world and all the brokenness that grieves us. Every day we look at the news or just look around and realize there's there was a world built without any of that. And there will be again heaven and earth, new heaven, new earth. So a new earth, new skies, new universe, accessible to all those who trust and follow the Lord. But that's just, that's the key there. There's the difference, right? Not everybody on planet earth now will get to enjoy that, okay? Because If you reject Christ, you reject everything he says, you reject everything he stands for, you reject everything that he says is to happen. And so what you are basically saying is, I don't want anything to do with my creator. And so the, so the God who is your creator says, okay. And he gives you what's left. And that's eternal separation from God, which the Bible describes as hell. So God doesn't force it on us, but he warns us over and over for millennium after millennium. He has been rewarding us that he is coming and then he's coming again. The Old Testament talks about his first and second coming. The first coming has been fulfilled. We we celebrate that at Christmas. Jesus came, came as a baby. The second coming, he'll come as a conquering king. And this should sober us. It should remind us what really matters. And so what he's doing here is he's describing using different images. And he's going to use the days of Noah to really drive this home. So um, most of you probably know Noah built an ark, okay, which was a very large, we call it a boat because that's so cute in our little children's Bibles. But it was actually the size of an ocean liner, and the proportions were designed so that it wouldn't capsize. And the proportions were so good that ocean uh, super tanker designers today use the proportions of the ark to build their super tankers so they're least likely to roll and and sink it's like almost like god knew what he was doing when he designed the proportions of this boat that all it had to do was survive the flood all it had to do was stay upright and so we think about the two by two animals and we think about noah and his family and we think about all those people that drowned as the waters rose and did not believe that getting in that ark would save their lives. And so Jesus is referring to that as history. He's not referring to it as a myth or as a legend or as Aesop's fables or anything else. He refers to a global worldwide flood written about in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 as history. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah. Okay? So I want you just to think back to that. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So he's saying the days and the coming of the Son of Man are those are going to be like those days in some ways. Here's how. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. 
That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, which is a reference to Jesus. And I'll stop. I'm going to pause there. So I want you to think about that. So probably around the time the flood came, they many estimate there were over a billion people on the planet. Okay? And God's word went out, but only one man and his family believed those words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, Jesus said. They believed his words to the extent that they not only got on the ark, okay, it's starting to rain, maybe it's never rained before, and they're like, I don't know what this is, but there's water coming up from the ground too. We might should get in that boat we built. But the faith really started way before then. Noah started building that, that ark, 450-foot-long ark. He started building it 120 years earlier. He somehow... God provided so he could pave to build that, build it, and it actually float. Okay? All those things and more. And in the meantime, people are coming up to him and asking him, what are you doing? You are so far from the sea. You have missed it. <laughs> this is not a shipyard. <laughs> you know? At, at best, at least they were up in the, in the highlands, if not in the mountains. Okay? So he had to, every time he'd explain, I'm doing this because my creator told me to. And I believe that his words are true when he says there's a flood coming and we need to prepare. We need to watch and prepare. And those just happen to be the two words Jesus says. This is how you prepare for my return. You watch and you prepare. And then he describes what preparation looks like. I like uh, what Greg Steer says. He's, he's a guy that, um, that designs Dare to Share youth conferences. I used to take our teens to a lot back in my last church. And he would say this expression a lot. He would say we need to keep, he's talking about Christians, we need to keep our eyes on the clouds and on the crowds. We need to keep our eyes on the clouds, awaiting the return of Jesus, watching for him, and on the crowds, all the people around us that don't know yet that they need to be watching the clouds and the crowds. Okay? Because if he's coming back, why wouldn't we warn them? Why wouldn't we tell them? They can choose to reject or But you know what? Not everybody says no to Jesus. Look around. Some of you have said yes to Jesus, right? Um, a third of the planet claims it. I don't buy that, but that's a lot of people that even claim it. But that means two-thirds of the planet do not. Okay, so what, what's our job? We're to watch and prepare for his return, and part of that preparation is serving the people that are still here that don't know yet so that they might come and know and understand. All right, so then he gives us another picture here. And this one is a little, I'm not quite sure exactly what he's trying to do here. Verse 40 and 41. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. I it's one of two things this is describing. It's either describing the rapture, which is the time when Jesus, that many believe, and I think the Bible teaches, that Jesus will, will call out his people and take them home early before he comes back and does everything he's going to do. Or he's, pulling, he's calling the people that are to be judged, and it's, a, it's an expression of, I'm going to pull out those who are to be judged. The point really is the same, though, whether, whichever way you look at it, is that you and I work, go to school, live around people, that when that day comes, when Jesus returns, some of us, it's going to be very clear who's with him and who's not. 
God will make it very clear. Okay? And there's a lot of different takes on that, on how that might go. Details are really not that important. What really matters is that you answer the question, are you ready for his return? If he returns today, are you ready for that? Because he could return today. The disciples in Jesus' day believed he was, could come any day. People were quitting their jobs. I don't recommend this. They were quitting their jobs because they're like, Jesus is going to be back any day. I don't need to work anymore. And that's why he had to come up with that verse, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's a really good rule of thumb, um, by the way. If you don't work, you don't eat. But um, it, So those, I think both of those are indicating that. Now, then he starts with the first imperative. This is verse 42. Therefore, in light of what we just read, in light of what it was like back in the days of Noah, and that today is not so different, right? The days of Noah, it was business as usual. People were, what does he say, eating and drinking and, and getting married, okay? Okay, so maybe we're not getting married as much as we used to, or at least not in the original definitions. But the things are basically saying business as usual. Things are happening as if nothing is going to change ever, okay? And would you say that's pretty accurate read of our people today? Or if you look out the window and just look at what people are doing, you know, up, you know, yeah, this is probably a bad week for that because it's a holiday week. But most of the time, people are going to get up and go to work, and they're going to do what they do, right? We touch base with each other and we say, hey, what, what are you up to? Yeah, same thing I did last week. And we don't think in terms of the future one day is going to change more dramatically than you could describe or imagine. And he's saying that's the way it was in the days of Noah, and they were all caught off guard by that unexpected, sudden deluge of water from above and below. And so he says, therefore, keep watch. This is imperative number one. Keep watch. Pay attention. Front of mind, Jesus could come back today. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared? Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night a thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Uh, and, and let me read these two verses just to kind of remind us. Verse, last week we read verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east... is as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be coming of the Son of Man. So will the coming of the Son of Man. It will be as obvious as lightning. And then verse 30, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He's coming from there with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect which was referring to believers from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So the, this second coming, he describes it this way. He says it's going to be unexpected, it's going to be sudden, and it's going to be obvious or gloriously public, okay? So much so that I think the blind will see it and the deaf will hear it. I just think it's just going to be that most so obvious. And, and because he's saying, he's making it very clear, no one's going to miss this. They may not understand it. They may not have been a believer, but everyone will see it. And it will be too late at that point, right? To go, oh, he's coming. I believe. No, you don't. You just saw, but that's not what he asked for. He asked that you would trust his words. My words will not pass away. They're going to outlive this universe. They're trustworthy. They're robust. They're truth. 
Do you believe them, though? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Do I believe that these words, and I know this sounds crazy. I mean, I'm more comfortable with it because I've read it so many times that I've lost some of the wow in reading it because when you read something dozens of times, you, you have a hard time being shocked by it. But when I think about it, I realize this is crazy. But then look at some of the movies we watch and some crazy things that happen in those movies and we just play along. It's so easy to just go, oh yeah, that's... We come away, that superhero movie was so so much more believable than Avengers. As if a superhero movie could be believable, right? But we say things like that because why? Because there is some sense in which, okay, I can imagine that happening. Okay? You can imagine this happening. It's not as far out of our box as we think. What's hard for us to swallow is that it could happen in such a way that it leaves us behind. That's what's sobering and should be sobering. Okay, so then he says this, and he gets into this. Oh, um, when he talks about the thief. So this is, this is what he's saying on the thief thing. He's saying, look, wouldn't it be crazy if you knew someone was going to break into your house tonight and you didn't do anything to prepare for it? Wouldn't that be crazy? I mean, even if you just said, I'm just going to leave because I just don't want to be there when it happens, it, you're still preparing. You're preparing to not be there so that you're not affected by whatever goes down. But whether you say, I'm going to hunker down and wait with a gun, or I'm going to call the police, or I'm going to have all the cameras rolling, and I'm going to turn on every light, and, and I'm going to have TV5 there watching with the camera, you know, whatever you're going to do to prepare, if you knew it was coming, you would do that. You would prepare. I think you would. But here's the thing. We don't know when. We don't know that it's tonight. We just know it could be tonight. I'll say this. If you, if, if I told you your house is going to be broken into tonight, God said, okay, and you didn't prepare, I don't think you would do it because you couldn't do it. I don't think you would, I think you would not do it because you didn't believe it was going to happen. You might believe it could happen, but you wouldn't believe it was going to happen, and so you wouldn't do anything. And that's what we're doing spiritually when we act as if Jesus isn't coming back. We're saying, well, he could come back, but I'm not going to change anything in my life because I don't believe he is coming back. Okay? That's a pretty high-stakes roll of the dice. What are you believing in that is so much more compelling that you would say no to what thousands of years and billions of people have said with their lives is the way to go. Now, I'm not saying that that's the ultimate test because people have died for lies all the time, not knowingly, you know, the guys who flew the planes into the trade, trade, trade center towers. They believed they were going to go to paradise because they were doing that. They believed they were going to have 70 virgins as soon as they died. Okay? They sincerely believed a lie, but they did. People do that, okay? But... We would say, if you read and, and think through what they thought through to get there, it's not reasonable. Those were not reasonable people. They had an unreasonable faith. They were believing in things that were lies and very misleading at best. Okay. When you study whatever it is you study to try to get to where you are, at the end of the day, what are you, what are you resting in for your eternity? Do you really want to believe that this is all there is, and when you die, you're done? What if you're wrong about that? It seems to me you would want to choose something that is tied to the one who created you. 
And if he said something, it seems to me that that would be very reasonable to believe and stake your whole eternity on. Who are you going to trust more than the one who created you? Who is more trustworthy than that being? Then, then the question is, who do you believe that is? Okay, I believe that the God described by Scripture in the Old and New Testaments describe him very well. He's a God of, who is holy and just and will, has punished sin, but he's also a God of love, which means he's merciful and gracious, and he does make a way for us to return to him and reconcile with him, even though none of us deserve it. He has made a way. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, wad up the piece of paper, throw it in the basket, let's start it again, let's start over. Okay, And he kind of did that with Noah and the ark, except he wanted to show what mercy looks like. And so Moses, I mean, no, did I say Moses? I meant Noah. Noah and the ark, not Moses and the ark. Okay, that's a bar joke. You want to remember that. Keep that straight, okay? Not that I would know. Noah and the ark, okay? All right. So Noah didn't get to go on the ark because he was... He had his act all together, and he was this holier-than-thou and perfect in every way. He was a righteous man, make no mistake, but the reason he was called righteous isn't because he was perfect. The reason he's called righteous is because he trusted the words of God. That's what faith is. It's saying, I believe with my whole life. I don't just believe with my mouth. I don't just say the right things. I'm believing with my whole weight of my being. My whole weight of my soul rests on what God has said. And I'm all in. If he's wrong, I'm, I'm toast. Okay? And I'm just saying, think about it. Why wouldn't you consider what your creator has said? Okay, so let's, let's see if we can land this plane. All right, so now we're going to get to the prepare part. How do I prepare? What does it look like for you and I to prepare for his return? He's going to give us some, a very simple description. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Hopefully that's us, okay? But, you, you know, what does your life look like? I don't know. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master, referring to the Lord, has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Okay, this is starting to sound like the parable of the talents. That's a, good, that's a good instinct. Verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. What's God going to find you doing when he returns? If he looks back one week and just, what did he find you doing last week? You see what I'm saying? This is, this is like rubber meets the road stuff, right? Verse 47, truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions, Right? He who is faithful with a little, I will give more. Okay? But suppose, verse 48, but suppose that that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. We kind of feel that way, don't we? We kind of feel like, well, Jesus, uh, you said you're coming back, and it's been 2,000 years. I mean, that's not a few minutes. Okay? And then you have to remember Peter's words. To the Lord, a 1,000 years is like a day. So it's been two days. You could say, tongue-in-cheek, right? Uh, but not totally, right? Because that's Scripture. So our perspective in God's is very different. We need to remember that. I mean, if he's outside of time and we're inside of time, of course time's going to be different for him. He's going to see it very differently. Remember, he sees all of time at once. He doesn't have to look back. into. He doesn't have to go, oh, I wonder when, and remember. He sees our history as now, and he sees our future as now. He's that big. 
That blows my mind. But suppose, verse 48, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and then, he begin, and then he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. It's unexpected. And at an hour he is not aware of. Suddenly he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. We've seen a lot about hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is Jesus' slang for... It's a big deal. You're either faithful and wise or you're the wicked. Which are you? So I want to finish with this sort of a story. It's a fictional account of two guys talking to Noah. Okay? I thought this was pretty pretty powerful. So this is written by a guy named John Bloom, and you can find it on the desiringgod.org website. John Piper's ministry, parachurch ministry, Desiring God. This was written in 2014, so this has been around. So the characters are Talmai, fictional character Talmai, fictional character Bak Bukiah, and actual historical figure Noah. Okay? This is madness, Talmai was alarmed by the huge piles of logs around the vast clearing and all the hired men cutting and hauling them. How long will this boat be? Noah braced for a deluge of ridicule, 450 feet. Unbelievable, Back Bakaya laughed incredulously. 450 feet? You were right, he said, slapping Talmai's back. I said, no one's that stupid, but I stand corrected. Talmai shook his head in disbelief. Noah, you've lost your mind. No one can build a boat that big. You're an idiot, shouted Back Bakaya. You're building a 450-foot boat six days' journey from the sea. It won't need to be near the sea, Noah replied. Oh, come on, Noah, said Talmai, exasperated. You've been preaching about this flood of divine judgment, but look around you. You seriously believe all this is going to be underwater? Talmai, I don't base my faith merely on what seems plausible to me, said Noah. <laughs> well, that's obvious, back Micaiah scoffed. Noah held up his hand and continued, I base my faith on what God says he will do. Who's God, Noah? said Talmai flatly. The only God there is, Talmai. Elohim, which is Hebrew for God or gods. Elohim, the the Almighty, the Creator, said Noah. So Elohim is a mass murderer then, said Bakbakiah mockingly. Bakbakiah, you're speaking foolishness, said Noah firmly. I'm speaking foolishness, snapped back, back Bakaya. You're, you're building a colossal boat in the middle of nowhere because some bloodthirsty God told you to, and you're calling me foolish? Yes, I am. Because you're assuming that what looks foolish to you is foolish, replied Noah. Building this ark doesn't just look foolish, Noah, said Talmai curtly. Tell me what foolishness is, Talmai. Noah countered. Foolishness is that, my friend, said Bakbakiah, gesturing to the site. No, no, no. I want you to answer the question. What is foolishness, said Noah? It's believing something that isn't real, exclaimed Talmai, basing your life on a delusion. Exactly, said Noah. Foolishness is basing your life on a delusion. Both men looked at Noah for a moment, perplexed. Talmai snorted, you're saying that we're the deluded ones? 
Talmai. Uh, yes, that's what, that. What makes you certain that you're not deluded? Asked Noah. Common sense, Noah. Try it. Comes in handy in boat building. Chortled uh, back, Bakaya. Common sense. Who's common sense? Back, Bakaya responded. Noah. Yours. The common sense you exercise when beating your wives when you're angry or when you try to take advantage of every customer you can. Or perhaps it's the common sense of your friend, Jobab, who extorted sex from the wife of a man indebted to him. Or the common sense of that man to cut Jobab's throat. Or Tamai, was it your common sense in working your slave into the ground and beating him mercilessly for petty infractions? Or your slave's common sense in raping your daughter before he escaped? Or back, Bakaya, was it the chief's common sense to run your father through with a spear for laughing at him? Watch your tongue, old man, if you want to keep it, threatened back, Bakaya. Point made, then, replied Noah. Depravity is rampant everywhere. We always carry our weapons because we can't trust anyone. And when we're honest, we know we aren't trustworthy. Where the most common sense we share is our evil selfishness. Listen, that's beside the point asserted Talmai. The point is there isn't going to be any flood, and this huge ark is a waste of time, money, and trees. It's not beside the point, said Noah. Elohim has, Elohim has been warning us for generations to forsake our evil, self-absorbed sin and return to him. No one has listened. We have only gotten worse. We're consuming each other. The point is that your perception of reality is distorted by self-centeredness, Talmai. Elohim created the predictable world you know. And it's foolish to presume that he can't turn this plane into a sea. Well, if he does, this Elohim of yours is as wicked as the rest of us. He's just going to drown us all like dogs, replied Bakbakaya. Except you, of course, being so righteous. Not true, Bakbakaya. It is not Elohim's bloodthirst and selfishness that is bringing the flood. It's his justice. It's what our sin deserves. Don't you see? In his mercy, he has been warning us over and over. But the ark is a sign that he will not wait forever. And God isn't sparing me because my nature is any better than yours. He's sparing me because I trust him. I believe what he says. And this ark will shelter anyone who will trust him. Join me, brothers. You don't have to perish in Elohim's judgment. Believe him and escape. Tell him I looked blankly at Noah. Build your boat, crazy man. But keep away from me and my family. Me too, added Bakbakaya. If Elohim's going to wipe out everyone I know and love, then I want to go where they're going. I'm not going on a boat ride with a murderous god, religious fanatics, and a bunch of wild animals. Pretty vivid. Pretty vivid. None of us deserve it. But there's room on the boat. Now, it's interesting to me, it's always been interesting to me that this giant ship is called an ark. And then there's this chest that was in the heart of hearts, the Holy of Holies in the temple called an ark. And if you've seen the first Raiders of the Lost Ark, well, that's sort of what it looks like, minus the lightning. Okay? So it's, you know, and it was the place, and the name of it on top, the top part was called the mercy seat. Mercy seat. The ark was an act of mercy. The ark of the, the, the ship, the boat, the ark was a, an act of mercy because Noah and his family didn't deserve to be saved and rescued either. But he, he used it as an opportunity for them to tell others 
This is how you can escape this judgment that is coming suddenly, unexpectedly, and obviously. And Jesus points back to that historical event to say, I'm going to do it differently. Now, I put the rainbow in the sky for a reason, to say, I'm not going to do it that way again, okay? But I am going to do it again. I'm coming back. And anyone who trusts my words can get on the ark. You remember how that story goes with the ark? The animals all somehow get in there. Noah and his family get in there. You remember who closed the door? I picture this giant finger coming down and just flipping the door shut. One way in the ark. No, there's just one door. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And by the way, all the other ways that people want to say are to God, all these other religions, none of them take you to God. They, they take you to a God. They don't take you to the Creator God. Because they all say, you have to earn it. And God says, you can't earn it. I can give it to you, but you can't earn it. You could never be so righteous. Not even Noah could earn it. God had to let him in on what was going to happen. And he believed God. Abraham, right? Counted righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. He believed the words that would not pass away. And that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to love yourself enough to believe the words that God has given you and put your life on a trajectory that intersects with him. That believe that when he comes back, that you can be prepared for his return. If you will just believe his words that will not pass away. This earth, this, these heavens, this universe is going to be destroyed. And he'll build a new heaven and a new earth. And I don't think we have to wait. I think in the blink of an eye, he will. all that will be done. But if you don't know him, then you're going to know a torture that I just, I don't even want to imagine. And you're going to miss out on having an eternal life with the one who created you, the one who dreamed you up to live with and for him. And so that's my prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would say in their heart of hearts that they believe that you're trustworthy and that they want to believe your words and walk in your ways. Whether it's the first time they've ever said those words or the millionth time. We all need to say it again. We all need to double down on what we say we believe because our lives should reflect that. And I, we need your help with that because our tendency is to get off the rails, to be pulled from this way or that into the, into the ditches on the side of the road instead of staying on that straight and narrow path that is the way to true life, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, Lord, I pray not only that you give us the faith to believe, which we need you to do, but that you would give us the courage to exercise the faith you give us to believe because we are going to be tempted to not act, even though there's no other rational choice. We're still afraid, Lord. It's real. These temptations to not believe you, to not trust you, are real. And so I pray that you will, you will just give us what we need to respond to you the way you want us to respond and that we would walk out of here changed, 
resolved, cleansed and filled with your spirit that we might live out there what we say we believe in here and that we would recognize that the only reason it's possible is because Jesus died for our sins in our place so that we could live on earth in his place. Not just on this earth, but in the new heaven and the new earth to come. Give us the courage to do that as well. In Christ's name we pray.